getting involved in. But what is it? I mean, there's one view of prayer that sees it kind of like going through the right rituals to manipulate spiritual forces. As long as you can get the, the words right and the actions right, then you can manipulate the spiritual forces to come to your aid. Uh, if you're wondering what that is a picture of, it is actually someone pouring oil on um, Wiccan diagrams because that's exactly the part of the Wiccan idea is you say the right rituals, you use the right forms, and you can manipulate spiritual forces to come to your aid. Of course, there's the far more popular version of prayer that's more like that. I, I want... <laughs> and I've put in enough faith to be able to earn what I want. Now, neither of those are actually what prayer is about, nor is actually much of what we heard on stage just earlier in terms of gimme, gimme, gimme. And yet there is a side to it that when we're talking about prayer, we're actually talking about asking. In fact, the word for prayer is the word for asking. It means to ask. So what is prayer? What do we mean when we talk about prayer? What do we take some when we pray? Jesus takes up the topic of prayer as he's talking to his disciples and Luke frames this discussion in the terms of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. Now, when I, well, the reason I say Luke frames the discussion in terms of that, if you have a look at the very first words that, uh, of chapter 11, it says, there was a time when Luke has gathered this story to this place because what he is doing as he gathers these stories is he's talking about it, what it means to follow Jesus on the path to the cross. What does it mean to follow Jesus who is going to be crucified? What does it mean to take up your cross and follow him? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean, in this case, to pray as a disciple of that Jesus? And so Jesus' teaching on prayer is what we wrestle with as we think about what it means to be disciples of a crucified Christ. Well, it seems silly to talk about prayer and not pray first. So would you join me as we pray that God would open our eyes to his word and our heart to his word and open his word to us. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that it is living and active. We thank you that it reads us even as we read it. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts that we might understand your word, receive your word, and obey your word. So we pray it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
Now, in a sense, I want to start a little bit behind where the passage starts because Jesus is talking to his disciples, people who've grown up in the world of Judaism, people who've grown up in a world where prayer was intrinsically a part of it. Now, for a lot of people in our world, that's not the case today. A lot of people in our world have grown up with where prayer is not a part of their life. So, let's just kick off with a few things. Why do we pray at all? Well, first of all, because we should. I know that sounds really silly, but bear with me. We should because of where the human condition begins. The reason that we find ourselves calling so desperately to our God, that grief that we see in this world that means we do want to call out to God, the reason we should do it is because it, 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 it resonates with the very heart of the human problem. Uh, the, the problem of human beings rebelling against their God. So back in Genesis chapter 3, Right at the beginning of the Bible, the world is made new. The first man, the first woman placed in a beautiful garden, a garden in which God, the creator of the universe, walks in the cool of the day. I just think that's a marvellous picture. And in Genesis chapter 3, the picture is already broken into pieces. Let me pick it up in verse 5 of Genesis 3. The serpent... Right? So therefore, the, the enemy of God's people, the accuser, the Satan, is talking to the woman and he says this, God knows that when you eat from it, that is the tree, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Why did they eat the fruit? Because they wanted to transplant God. God who is sovereign, God who is the creator, God who is the one who is over all, they wanted to remove him from that position and put themselves in that place to gain that wisdom, to become like God, to be the one who says, this is good for me, this is bad for me, regardless of what you think, God. That is the heart of the human condition. That is something that the Bible says is is like an infection through every human being. And I wish it was not so much a part of me. That desire to be my own sovereign. Why do we pray? Because prayer humbles. It is a humbling act in the face of an inclination to put ourselves in God's place. So we read in the book of Chronicles when uh, King Solomon builds the great temple and God says to him, he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, 
and I'll forgive their sin and will heal their land. What's the picture? The picture is of a God who is calling on his people to humble themselves, to remove themselves from that position of a challenger to God's sovereignty as if we can. I can't organise tomorrow, let alone the universe. But we still try, we still pretend. And many people suffer the consequences of it. And in prayer, we actually acknowledge that we are not in charge and therefore we call out to the one who is over all. We express our trust in his sovereignty. Why do we pray? Because we should. Because we are not the sovereigns of this universe. Because we are not self-sufficient. Because we are not the ones who are in charge. We are not the ones who dictate what is good and what is not. That's a fiction. And in humbling ourselves before him, we put things back how they should be. The God who is sovereign over all to whom we call and us as his creatures. We pray because we should, but we also pray because we can. We pray because we can. There is an incredible privilege in what is held out to us in the Bible. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 10. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. The picture is that because of Jesus, I can walk into the presence of the Lord of the universe with confidence. And maybe you don't get that. In the Old Testament, there was a guy named Isaiah. And he had just a vision of what it would be like to be in the presence of God. And his response to what he saw was to say, I am a dead man. I am ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the Almighty. And we can stand with confidence. Confidence in that most holy place. We can come before God with confidence. We have access to the throne of the universe. We have a God who welcomes us into his presence. Not only is it a humbling thing, but it's also a glorious thing. We who are creatures and need to, be, need to remember that, through Jesus, nevertheless have access to the one who is sovereign and can come before him with our concerns. Can I say, there is, there is a thing that as Christians we can start doing, and as churches we can start doing, Back in the 1960s, there was uh, a Canadian songwriter and he thought, I want to write a song. 
I want to write a song not for me to sing, he often sang himself, but, but for another person. And let me get myself into his head. He did. He wrote this song and he rang this other singer and said, I've written a song for you, for you to record. And that person did record it. And it became their kind of most famous song about how he did it his way. His daughter said in an interview he actually grew to hate that song because it is so incredibly arrogant. It is so incredibly cocky. But he was stuck with it. It was kind of his signature. How sad it is when that's the song of a church. We just did it our way. We made our plans and we did them. Hooray for us. And our knees are nice and clean because none of us knelt. None of us came before God in prayer, but we did it our way. We achieved our stuff on our time. Why do we pray? Because we can't do it our way. Because in the end, I'm not the sovereign of this universe and we can't just do things ourselves. We cannot be self-made people. It does not work. We are creatures and always will be. We pray because we have a privilege of access to the Lord of the universe. Brothers and sisters, if we as a church don't pray... If we as a church leave that to the few, if we as a church adopt, we did it our way. Can you see what a disaster that is? So how and what do we pray? Well, as I said before, uh, this is an account that comes a little bit loosed off. Uh, one day Jesus was praying in, praying in a certain place. Luke, could you get any vaguer? One day somewhere. But again, something happens here because Jesus' disciples seeing him... Now, remember, we, remember what, what was one of the reasons we pray? Because we are not sovereign of this universe. This is Jesus. Yet he still comes before his Father. He still sees it as something valuable, taking the time out. And the disciples are watching him do this, taking time out to go and pray. And so having seen him do this, they come up to him and one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, John taught his disciples to pray, taught them th things to pray, how to do this. Could you do that for us? It's a good question. We have the privilege now of seeing what Jesus thinks about prayer. This isn't some book on prayer we've picked up from a Christian bookstore that somebody's got their great wise advice. This is the Lord of the universe. What does it mean to pray? Well, let's have a look. But at the heart of this is not just what is it like to pray, 
What are we doing when we pray? It's what does it mean to be a disciple praying? I wonder if you saw it in those words, the, the, the repeat of this word disciples. This is about discipleship. This whole section is about discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple praying? Well, Jesus responds, and his words are fairly famous. In fact, we've already kind of said them once tonight. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. I want to point out a couple of things. First of all, when he says, when you pray, it's actually, Australians are great. We've got the version for this. It's when you fillers, right? It's when you when lot pray. It's the plural. Corporate prayer was actually something that Jesus was encouraging. One of the dangers we've got in the modern society is we are so individualistic and we want to make Christianity all about my own personal interaction with God. Now, we have the incredible privilege of a personal relationship with the living God, but don't miss that he's also placed us in community. And that community is to come before God in prayer. When you, plural, together, you who are disciples of the Lord Jesus, when you together come and pray, pray like this. In fact, it is actually entirely consistent with what Jesus is saying here, that the church over the centuries since have taken his words and prayed them together Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. It is entirely consistent with what he is doing here. He's saying when you together pray, pray like this. We pray together. Say, Father. Now this isn't the, the very, very familiar kind of daddy. Jesus does talk about the fact that we have this incredible amazing. We can call God dad. Paul brings it up as well. We can call God, the Aramaic word is Abba, but that's, that's not the word used here. This is the word for father, and it, it comes with a couple of senses. One of them is respect, and the other one is relationship. This isn't just, hey, Dad, here's the stuff I'd like. This is an acknowledgement of respect, but at the same time, an acknowledgement of a profound relationship. The Apostle John says, what love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. We can call to our Father with relationship as one of his children. This is not a, a distant spirituality. This is not trying to get in touch with the force. This is somebody who knows us and invites us to know him. 
This is someone with whom we have a relationship, not a relationship of equals. I am not equal with God. Newsflash for some of us. All too many of us think we are equals with God, but we're not. But it is a relationship of intimacy with respect. We pray to God as Father, as our Father. And the first request that Jesus encourages us to make of our Father is actually about him, not about us. The first thing off the rank is not... Now I've got your attention, let me tell you what I really... No, what do we really want? Because this is about shaping our priorities as well. For God to be honoured, hallowed means to be treated as special and different and holy. May your name, your character, who you are, Be respected and honoured and treated as something special. Hallowed be your name. We actually care about God's reputation, not just our own. That's part of that intimacy, that's part of that relationship, part of that respect, that just as we call out to a God who cares about us, we care about him. And the honour of his name. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Just as we care about who God is, we care about God's future. That is the future that God is bringing about in this world. It's a wonderful... Some of you know me well enough to know that if I'm talking about a wonderful verse, I'm going to go to the book of Revelation, but here we go. Uh, there is a really wonderful verse in, in, in Revelation chapter 11. Uh, the idea is that there's these trumpets that have sounded to announce God's great work happening in this world. And as the final trumpet, that is, the here is the great con- kind of culmination of all God is doing as the seventh angel sounded his trumpet there was a loud voice in heaven which said the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever that is the future that is inexorably I love that word that is inexorably coming you cannot avoid it you cannot change it it will not be deferred it will not be delayed it will not be sidetracked it will not be derailed The future that is coming for this world is that the kingdom of this world will be the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. God's reign in this world will be known, experienced. He will be honoured as king in this creation. That day is coming. When the kingdom of God... is the only kingdom of this world. So we pray together to our God as Father. We care about him and we long for his future. We long for that day that he is bringing about. Now we can get ourselves in a right frame of mind as we bring up 
concerns, because we do have concerns, don't we? And they're not trivial. Give us to each day our daily bread. Literally, it's, it's, it's give us tomorrow's bread. Um, we've got needs. We've got needs. Lord, look after them. God, who is our provider, God is, who is always the one who, who provides for his people, we call out to him to give us what we need. Now, I suspect some of us would want to lengthen that. Go for it. This isn't just, you can lengthen all of these, can't you? You could say a lot more on, these are my needs at the moment, just as we could say a lot more on longing for the day when God brings his kingdom in. Just like we can say a lot more on yearning for God's name to be honoured in this world. We look to him for what we need. Whether that is food or health, whether that is a job, whether that is help with a difficult relationship that you're experiencing, we can come to God and call on him to look after our needs, to give us what we need, and it's not wrong to do so. Here's Jesus saying, yeah, go for it. That's part of it. Give us what we need. We look to him for what we need. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. The reality is as we come before that God, we do so as people who don't live out the wonder of the relationship we have. We come before God as people who have dethroned him, who have tried to do it our way. And we acknowledge that. We ask for him to lavish on us what he promises to do, his forgiveness, the wonder of a fresh start. Acknowledging also that the one who yearns for a fresh start but will grant that to no one else is a problem. You can't sit there and say, Lord, forgive me, but I'm not forgiving any of you lot. The God who forgives you, who lavishes forgiveness on you, that changes how we act, how we respond. And it's interesting that Jesus here in this prayer puts that reminder so that we pray it all the time as he teaches his disciples a form of of, of words to pray together. They're reminding each other again and again and again that just as God has lavished his forgiveness on them, it leaves them needing to be forgiving with one another with those who sin against them. We look to God for forgiveness. 
And then the prayer finishes, lead us not into temptation. Now, some people have a bit of a problem with this. Why would God lead you into temptation so that you've got to ask him not to? Well, that would work if there was no such thing as idioms. You know what an idiom is? An idiom is a way of talking about things. We use them. If you took the idioms out of the, hum- out of the English language, most of us wouldn't be able to communicate. We use them all over the place, like saying we use them all over the place. To, to not lead you somewhere is to keep you from it. You're calling out to God to protect you. Now notice, it's not to protect you from everything that might be yucky in this world. We do ask God to protect us through that, but what, he's, what we're asking him to protect us from is temptation. The danger that what we experience, what we taste might lead us to walk away from the very relationship we've been enjoying as we pray this prayer. To walk away from that good father whose name is holy, whose kingdom is coming, who is our provider, who forgives us, to walk away from him because the times are tough. Which is why some uh, versions of the Lord's Prayer that are said in churches change it a little and say, save us from the time of trial. Saying the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. Save us from that tough time that makes us want to let go of a relationship that we should never let go of a relationship with the Lord of the universe. We look to him to keep us. I want you to notice, as Jesus talks about prayer here, as he gives this form of prayer here, this is not just shouting out requests to an unthinking sky. This is not just having, hoping that in, a, in a great moment of spiritual fervor, God, it, the, the spiritual forces will come to our aid. This is an incredible picture of relationship, of a God who is at work in this world, bringing about his kingdom, caring for his people, forgiving them, keeping them fast. This is calling out to a God it assumes is on the other end of the line and listening and cares. I wonder how you think about prayer. I wonder whether sometimes... You can go there, calling out our requests to the sky in the hope that somehow someone will listen and lose that sense of a God who is listening, who cares. Lose that sense of privilege that not only is there someone listening, but that someone is the one who sits on the throne at the very centre of the universe. The best one who you can ever call out to. And he hears and he cares. 
That's why Jesus then goes on to say what he does next, isn't it? He talks about the God we pray to and what kind of God he is. And he uses these pictures. First of all, he says, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. Now, I just want you, let's just pause there for a second. This is a world before the invention of the electric light bulb or the television. Midnight's quite late. Isn't it? I suspect for some of you, you'd be saying it's quite late for me and I've got a television. And <laughs> Someone comes knocking on your door and says, I need a loaf of bread. You're like, do you have a watch? And you can kind of understand the response, can't you? And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked, my children and I are in bed, you wake my kids, there'll be real trouble. I can't get up and give you anything. You can understand this, can't you? Even if it's a friend. In fact, you know, just imagine that it's somebody in this room slamming on your door at midnight, just as you've gone to sleep. What they want is a loaf of bread. How are you feeling? Listen to what Jesus says, though. I tell you, even though he'll not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity in slamming on his door at midnight, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Probably, if nothing else, to make you go away. Look, just take it and go. The thing is, God is not your grumpy mate. God is not that grumpy friend who still would have done it for you. Don't you think God who cares about you far more will do for you? Will care for you if even your grumpy mate would do it? Friends, ask big. It is not wrong to be audacious in your requests of God. Ask big. It is not wrong to say, Lord, I don't understand how anybody could make this happen. But I'm going to ask for it anyway. I remember a few of us getting together and we looked at, uh, at a good friend who was... His health was awful and his prognosis was awful. And we gathered together and we got bold in our asking. And we've watched God do amazing things in response. Ask big. Now, God is not your celestial enabler. This is not the Lord sick of driving my Honda. I want the, a, a Ferrari. Uh, this is not that God we're talking about. We're not talking about God the enabler for your self-centered whims. You cannot bribe this God. You cannot manipulate this God. 
but you can ask him. You can ask him. You need to be ready for God to answer his way. Because you don't see what he sees. You, just newsflash, aren't God. You don't know all things. You don't actually know the best way for this to turn out. You don't know what is most needful. He does. Ask big, but be ready for God to answer his way. That's why Jesus then goes on to say, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks the door will be opened. The picture is still on the same topic of prayer. This is about coming before God and asking, seeking, knocking, knowing that God answers. And you can ask big things of him. After all, he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? And now my, my son asked for a snake. Um, so we, we actually did. But um, <laughs> you get the picture here. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Whether you are a father yourself or Maybe you think back to growing up and your father. For all that we are a broken people, for all that we are a people who try to do things our way, for all that we are a people who live in a, a, a world that is broken and corrupted by that rejection of God as rule, we still know that we still give nice things to each other. We still care. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God is someone of whom you can ask big things, and God is good. God is generous. God is lavish. And it's interesting how Luke just throws this in on the end. When Matthew, in his biography, records this same stuff, he just talks about how, uses the same thing. You know, if, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will God give good gifts to you? Luke draws our attention to that incredible gift that God gives to actually dwell among his people. Remember back at the beginning when we talked about the privilege of prayer? And that day when the king, on the day of dedication of the temple, was talking about this place of prayer, and God said to him, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray as they come to this temple, what an incredible, incredible, breathtaking thing it is that God makes you 
into one of those temples. That God makes his people into ones in whom his presence, his spirit dwells. What, a, what an intimate, wonderful picture. That God is not stingy. That God is not grumpy, hoarding things to himself. You've got to try and lever them out of his hands. This is a God who is lavish. Why do we pray? Why the heck wouldn't you? If that's your God and you have the privilege of standing in his presence with confidence because of what Jesus has done, able to ask big things of a big God, knowing that he is good, that he is generous, that he is far more inclined than the most generous person you know to give good things. Why wouldn't you? Friends, one of the hardest things when we read about the wonder of prayer is that many Christians' prayer life is a burden. Many of us actually find it hard. I'm not going to get you to put your hands up, but I suspect it's probably roughly the same number of people as in the room. Prayer can be hard work. Isn't that interesting? We have the privilege of coming and before the Lord of the universe who loves us, who cares for us, and yet we find it hard work. I suspect it's mostly hard work because of where we began. It cuts across our self-sufficiency. It cuts straight across our self-made lives, our self-reliance, and humbles us. Friends, it's worth it. It's worth it and it's true. When we're self-reliant, we're reliant on a fiction. This idea that we have some kind of control over the world that is around us. And it's a fiction. Yet we have a God who is sovereign, who invites us into his presence who invites us to bring our concerns before him and ask big, and who loves us and lavishes that love upon us. A God who is bringing about the good that this world so desperately needs and it is coming with a certainty when the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. The day when every knee will bow and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is coming. And it is a glorious day. If you're wrestling with prayer, keep going. Keep up that discipline. Because often what happens is we get uh, afraid of the very thing that we're invited into. We become averse to the very thing that is a great privilege. We treat as a duty the thing that is one of our most joyful delights. 
And what is true for us individually must also be true for us together. Let's take seriously the need together to come before God in prayer. We've got lots of opportunities. You can come on a Monday night. We gather online. Pray with us. We're going to be gathering again on the Thursday of the Easter week to watch and pray. Come and gather with us. Let's take up the enormous privilege we have. Get on our knees before the God who invites us into his presence and who lavishes his goodness on us. Would you join me in prayer to that same God? Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you are doing in this world. We thank you for the incredible privilege you give us to approach you with confidence because of what Jesus has done for us. That we who deserve nothing from you can come into the presence of the Lord of the universe in confidence, bringing our concerns and our requests to you. Our Lord and God, for those times when we have avoided coming before you, mixed up in this funny thing of duty or confusion or this view that somehow you're a God from whom good things need to be prized as though you are hoarding good things and keeping them from us. Lord, that is not you. You are the God who blesses us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You are the God who opens the floodgates of heaven and pours out such blessing that we cannot stand underneath it. Would you fill us with such a joy at calling you Father that our lips would be opened, that we would take up the privilege that is ours, that we would come before you knowing that you hear us and that you love us. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.